Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. My address, if you want to contact me, is askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com. Today, my friends, I'm going to go to the mailbags and... Um, I find that the email radio shows, when I do the emails, is one that is very difficult to do in many cases. Difficult for me because I have to draw down on other people's conversations, which is painful to do. You know, people entrust themselves to you to ask questions, and almost always the questions are asked in candor. So today, I haven't done this in a long time, but I'm going to go into some tough ones. I'm going to start out with some easier ones. I'm going to let you build up your tolerance <laughs> because it takes tolerance. And then if we have time, but we get to the end, I've got a couple real difficult ones where we're just going to have to dive in and hack away at them and see if we can make some sense of them. But today, we're just going to try to start with some of the information, the facts. The first one, and by the way, I'm not giving out anybody's names today. What I want to focus on, though, is I want you to focus on the core beliefs and also then the core messaging. Because some of the problems is the way I message things, the way my staff messages things, it comes across sounding too easy. And sometimes when you see that we pick out great examples of what you can do in your life, people then either decide, well, is that every example works that well, Uh, which would be a false assumption. So the first email says this. It says, I have roughly $100,000 to invest and $10,000 per month net income to replace. And he's note here, use the term net income. Now, I don't know if that's really net income or not, but let's just assume it, he knows what net income means, which is that's after-tax income, okay? Uh, that means he's got, to, he's got to earn twelve to $14,000 a month, actually net $10,000 a month. My guess is he makes $10,000 a month, and net means that's what his paycheck is or his company pays him. But we don't know that, and so we won't assume that completely. Uh, But he needs to replace $10,000. Using the LU roadmap, Lifestyles Unlimited roadmap, is it possible to retire in five years or less based on these numbers? If so, what would you recommend as an investment strategy, EI single family and or multi-family or passive investing? Well, let's take the last question first. I could get you to a result with either one of those, any one of those three different ways to invest, either by single family or by being a owning your own multifamily, small multifamily IRO deal, or by being a part of a big deal. You will get there quicker by owning your own single family or your own IRO deals. Why is that? Because if you're a passive in somebody else's syndication, they're taking some portion of whatever the profit is. Now, in our deals, the largest amount a syndicator can take is 20% override. So that means for every dollar you would earn, he would be getting 20 cents of your dollar as an overriding pay for putting the deal together and managing the property. He also gets a management fee 
which is a company that runs the property, actually runs the property, which may or may not be the same person. Could be the same person that was a syndicator. It could be another management company. So if you own your own property, you, number one, get rid of the override. Whether it's a single family or a small multifamily, you get rid of the override. That's a 20% increase in your profitability right away. So if you were going to make a 10% return, you're only going to make an 8 If you were going to make an 8 passively, you're going to make a 10 now, if you were going to make a 100% return, you would only make 80. If you did it yourself, you'd make 100. So there you go. You can see that it makes a bit of a difference. But in the scheme of things, that 20% difference is probably going to mean an extra year or two for you to get where you want to be. Now, let's take it one step further. What if you're going to be a lead investor, what we call lead investor? That's the syndicator, the guy or gal putting the deal together. Well, now you're making your own return on your money whatever that is, let's say 10% return on your cash flow and maybe 100% return over a couple of years on your investment, you not only get the full return on your investment because there's no override taken out of yours, and you get the override off the other people, which generally takes your investment return up much higher. You have to ask yourself, could he do that? There's probably not any more deals out there like that right now. Uh, that was during the deep recession, 2008, 2009, that we did that deal. So there's probably not that high a rate of returns anymore. So I said to him, look, give it a few more years or lower your cost of living. If your cost of living expectations are 10000 a month and you can get them down to just simply $7,000 a month, you can cut off and make it within five years. So it's just a simple uh, accounting of math once you understand the background behind what we're doing and what the question is. The next question is even a little simpler than that. It's a statement, first of all, but I thought there was something interesting thrown in. It says, many people tout the fiduciary standard, but they still get their fees if you lose your money. They still make money. The fiduciary standard doesn't mean they know what they're doing. Thank you for hitting on this point. Also reminds me of investments only open to accredited investors, new ways of ripping people off. A lot of pain and hatred in that statement, right? Obviously, he agrees with the fact that just because somebody tells you they're a fiduciary doesn't mean they're going to make you money. It means with the position that they're taking in the transaction, they are working for you. In fiduciary, they should be making sure that your benefits are more important than their benefit out of the transaction. Now, does that ever occur? Very infrequently. Very infrequently does a fiduciary actually worry more about you than they do themselves. They're out to make a living. That's what they're doing, okay? Does having a fiduciary position mean you know what you're doing? Not at all. Absolutely not at all. And then he brings up the thing about accredited investors. And those who don't know what an accredited investor is, there are deals out there, uh, syndications and private placements, that you cannot get into unless you're an accredited investor. Accredited investor means you make over $200,000 a year if you're single, $300,000 a year if you're married, have done that the last two years, and will be able to prove you can do it within the next 12 months, or you're worth a million dollars, not counting your personal residence. Now, what is the significance of this? The government entities, SEC and so forth, they signify that if you have that much wealth, then you don't need to be protected by SEC rules. And you can go into the craziest, dumbest deals in the world because you should be smart enough to be able to ascertain whether or not they're a good place to put your money. And how do they come to that conclusion? Because you have money. You make enough money to be smart enough 
and or you have enough money to show that you've been smart enough about money in the past, and it's not going to kill you to lose some money in an investment. So hence, you can get into deals that are not protected as strongly by the SEC as deals where other than accredited people can get in. The really weird thing about this is, is if you're sophisticated, which means you've got the educational background to prove that you know what you're doing, and you can prove that, and you can claim that you can get into these deals as not an accredited investor, but as a sophisticated investor. As a sophisticated investor, you are not accredited. So you can't do what accredited people do, but you can get into some of these deals by being sophisticated. But guess what? By getting in sophisticated, you're giving up all the protections you had by being accredited. Uh, and just like being accredited, you're giving up those protections because you're getting into a deal you don't really qualify to get into. And hence, if you lose all your money, it's your fault. So that's why the guy says, well, accredited investors, only accredited investors can get in. It's a new way to rip people off. No, it's an old way. It's been around forever. It is the way that they keep the weak away from the really dangerous deals. All right, next one here. It says, I recently joined LS Lifestyles. I'm very excited about this. I have taken the single family and passive course, and I'm looking at passive investing in multifamily. My problem is most of my funds, approximately 350000 are now in self-directed IRAs, which allows me to invest in real estate deals. But by doing this, my cash flow will be nothing, as all the money will go back into the IRA. I do have approximately 60000 in cash, but to take the money out will take a big tax hit, which does not seem like a sensible thing to do. All right. So when you look at this situation, what he's saying is he could take his self-directed IRA and he could invest into syndication. The problem is all the proceeds have to go back into the IRA and he can't get them out of the IRA unless he pulls them out and pays taxes plus penalty if he's not 59 and a half. So he's actually losing money by investing into the self-directed IRA. People don't understand this. They have no concept of this and they have no concept of the fact that one other fact I'd like to make, and that is. The way to look at this is that the money must get taxed sometime. You really don't own that money or the income that it produces until you pay Uncle Sam for the taxes you owe on it. In other words, you got paid somehow. You made money. You stuck in an IRA to avoid paying taxes on it. You don't own that money. Government owns 50% of everything you own. They they own income taxes anywhere from 15 to 42 percent. Social Security tax, anywhere from 7.25 to 15.3 percent. And then state income taxes could be as high as 12 percent in California. So you could be taxed as high as 60 to 70 percent of your income, as low as 15 to 20 percent of your income. Because even if you're in the 15 percent tax bracket and 7 percent Social Security, that's 22 percent. 22 to 62 percent of what you have in that IRA belongs to the government. Same thing with a 401k, same thing with whatever other kind of tax avoidance vehicle you have. So the government won't let you have the income from it because you don't own that cash yet. We'll be right back with the Dell Walmsley Radio Show. the effects of what happened in 2008 and you compare it to what we are hopefully coming out of right now, real estate has definitely shown 
its resiliency. It is provided for people not only a place to live, but a place to work, a place to raise their children, a place to teach their children, a place to prepare all of their meals. And that's really where the rubber meets the road, is that there are are two things that people have to have, and they strive very hard to have them, and that's a roof over their head and food on the table. And if you are investing in something related to either of those two things, you are going to have a winning strategy. And in addition to that, you're providing something of value to the people around you. And creating a win-win situation while creating wealth and passive income for yourself is the best life you can get. Real estate is resilient. You should have real estate in your portfolio. Join us for the next live online free workshop. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time. Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're doing the emails out of the last week or two that I've received in the last question we had was, um, you know, I'm looking at this money and investing it, but it's in my IRA. What should I do? If I leave it in the IRA, I don't have any cash flow. If I take it out of the IRA, I pay taxes. And I said, well, you just got to look at it. You don't really have that money until you take it out of that IRA. It's not yours. It belongs to the IRA, which is a government-held entity, really, uh, saying that we're holding your money for you until you decide to pay us taxes. Now, if you want to let that money become larger and larger and larger, then we'll let you go ahead and let it become larger within the IRA so that when you get ready to pay taxes, you pay more taxes. That's the only way you can look at it. So, if I want you to think about it this way. If you're thinking about taking money out of your IRA, I want you to think about talking to your boss, and your boss says, look, Bob, because what Sam you know, basically says here is he's saying, look, I don't want to allow my, my income bracket to go up, right? And that's the problem. It, uh you know, if you take the money out and you're already making your income, you make hundred grand a year, you tax at hundred grand a year level, but if you take hundred grand out of your IRA, then you're taxed at two hundred grand a year. So the concept is you're supposed to take the money out of your IRA once you quit your job and or retire because then you don't have income offsetting the taxes and you pay the same taxes uh, you pay. But the reality is you're gonna pay the taxes. And so, you know, the discussion was, hey, you take it out a little bit at a time invest it a little bit at a time, and you take the hit a little bit at a time, and not jack your tax bracket up a large amount. That's a possible way to do it, right? Um, on the other hand, think about this. What if your boss came to you today and said, Bob, I'm going to give you a $50,000 bonus this month. Would you say, sir, please don't do that. Why, Bob? Because you're going to jack my tax bracket up. It's going to mess me up bad. Okay, well, Bob, I was going to give you 100000 this year, 50000 now, 50000 in the year. Please, boss. Don't give me that hundred grand. Do you know how bad that would mess up my tax bracket? Now, think about it that way, and then you'll see how stupid it is to worry about taking the money out of the IRA. If you were dumb enough to put it in the IRA in the first place, dumb enough to put it in a 401k in the first place, and let a large amount of money accumulate under a tax rate that's higher than lower. And say, so why do I say that? Because their lie is that at the end of your life, you're going to be in your lowest tax bracket. That's not true. At the end of your life, when you're my age, you're in the highest tax bracket you've ever been in. I'm in a higher tax bracket I've ever been in. It doesn't go down as you get older. It goes up, especially if you're investing. So, it's a lie. So, what you have to do is just unlearn the lie that they burdened you with. All right, let's see what the next one here says. First, I want to say thanks for giving me so much inspiration. I have been listening to your show for over two years now. Here are the facts. I'm 62 years old. Now, here's an interesting one. When we get into these ones where they start telling us their age, 
Now they're looking at a whole nother variable factor, and that is, can I do this at my age? Okay, So I'm 62, I'm working from home full-time and take care of my 88-year-old mother. I make $32,000 a year. After 30 years of marriage, I'm able to now think for myself. Divorced for five years now. He took everything and then some. I've, rep- I've repaired my credit. It's now 810, and I have no debt, and I have been able to save about $18,000. I've already signed up for lifestyles, but after listening to the case studies, I feel like I don't make enough to have enough to save. The last 30 years, I've been imprisoned, and I kept in isolation by my ex-husband, and I survived. I'm not looking for sympathy, but honesty. Can you help? Look. First of all, age. There's no age limitation to doing this. I'm 64 years old, and I'm still deeply invested in real estate, and more so all the time. I looked at two more deals last week and another deal today even. So, yeah, there's no problem about the age. Secondly, the problem, the challenge, if we call it anything, is the $32,000 a year of income taking care of your mother, 88-year-old mother. Now we get into the thing, okay, do we have enough income to debt ratio to be able to afford to go buy a rent house? With only $18,000, that's all she's ever going to be able to buy, right, is one rent house. And one rent house would be beneficial for her, both income-wise and tax savings-wise. But that's all she's going to be able to buy. And if she keeps that rent house and does it correctly and saves her money, it will be a, a marginal benefit to her. It'll be a good tax benefit to her, but a marginal income benefit to her because it's only one house. And then you've got this thing you now have to know how to deal with, which is a house, a rent house, right? And you're going to need to do that. Now, you work from home. So that's probably not a problem to be able to do it. So all in all, could she do it? Yes. Would it be the best thing for her to do? In this case, you get a 50-50 from me. And the reason why I say you get a 50-50 is because 50% of my brain says, you know, from what I'm hearing in this email, she needs to do something to prove to herself that she's a real human being that can do things. In that case, getting into lifestyles, finding out how to buy a a rent house, buying a very small, inexpensive rent house with a small amount of money she has to work with, using a hard money lender so you can get in for that amount, which you can, by the way, get into a house for $18,000 with the right deal, done the right way. We see it at case study almost every month, uh, so it could be done. And for those reasons, for her psychological reasons, I say yes. For her financial reasons, to use up all $18,000 of her savings, in one transaction at her age with her mother as being uh, a problem, that's a challenge, folks. I'd have to give this one a 50-50. And if it means enough to her, I learned something a long time ago. Whenever you tell people they can't do something, they're going to do it anyway just to prove you wrong. If it really means something to her to do something like that, then by all means, let's get her going. Next one here. I'm 49 years old, have three kids. I own a six-year-old small business that is service-based consulting product. I make about 250000 a year with it and have about a 30% profit. So I figured that out to be $75,000 profit. Now, don't know if that's 75000 after he pays his payroll taxes on himself or before he does. If he if that's before he pays his payroll taxes, then he only really makes $52,000 a year, which becomes relevant to how much he's going to need to be able to do something. I've had issues with debt. When I look, took a $50,000 loan in 2016, massive monthly payments and defaulted. I also had an equipment loan, which is still under COVID grace period, no payment due. And I took my mortgage stay of payments, which turns back on in fall. So here's an individual that we want to look at their choice model. Their choice model is they work for themselves. They went into heavy debt to take that risk to work for themselves. 
and they can't pay the payments. So whatever it is that they took on, whatever their business is, a consulting business, whatever it is, service-based consulting business, um, didn't do well in COVID. So they weren't set up to be able to take on tough times. It goes on and says, in my assessment, I've been poor steward of my business and focus. There it is. The guy sums up the entire email with that. In my assessment, this is his, I've been a poor steward of my business and focus. I purchased a $7,000 program from Robert Kiyosaki in 2018, but totally lost focus due to an appropriate issue we had with our CPA. So there's two more issues. Wasted money on a Robert Kiyosaki program, which is really a ripoff in my mind, because Robert Kiyosaki doesn't even have a program. He sold his name to people who have a bogus, reworked, reused program. It's been around for 30 years and is really no good at all. It has nothing but complaints. If you look it up on, on the Better Business Bureau and look at what the complaints are, it's high. High amount of complaints. Secondly... He had a bad CPA. And so he got in a lawsuit with the CPA. It looks like he said he left town. He left town, and we had to bear the brunt of an audit. Later, settling in legal agreement, we would not sue the parent company, et cetera. A big mess. Huge distraction. So here we go. He showed another lack in business skill, which is to pick a bad CPA and to buy a program without researching it to find out that the Robert Kiyosaki program doesn't have a lot of positivity behind it, if any. Goes on, Dell, I do not want to work to eat. My friend, that's the only way you can eat is work to eat. I've always wanted to get into real estate, and I know it's the tool for the, my long-term success. My dilemma, my credit is 600. There we go. Another business problem. I have a little cash, and I have a home that is worth at least double what we owe on it, around, oh, about 380, and with about $200,000 in equity, that's an estimate. But that's it. We keep our expenses low, but I can't seem to break the low income cycle uh, or know if we should do an equity loan for a rental property, get into it. My wife has huge amounts of insecurity even discussing it, but I know there must be a path to this. Okay, now we run into another argument I run into all the time. Spouses tell me that their spouses are afraid of what they're going to do as far as investments. The only reason your spouse is afraid of what you're going to do as far as an investment is because they've seen you make bad investment decisions in the past, and that's why they're worried. My wife would never be afraid of me making an investment. Why? Because she's seen me make good investment after good investment after good investment. She was comfortable within my decisions. His wife is uncomfortable. She knows something we should know. Folks, I'm going to vote this one the other way. What this gentleman really needs is he needs to do a self-assessment. I think he has, in this email, outlined his personal struggle very well. And he's outlined the things that he's done wrong along the way. The very fact that he lives in a $300,000, $380,000 home and doesn't have but five or $10,000 to spend to invest, you have to ask yourself, why? If I was him, the first thing I'd do is sell the three, $380,000 house, take the $200,000 and put it in a savings account, take five or 10000 and buy myself another home to live in that's a size we can afford. Then I'd take whatever's left of that $200,000, let's say one hundred fifty of it, and I'd start buying single-family houses. Not going to make you rich quick, but he's only 49 years old. I'm 64. That gives him 15 more years. And I'm still alive. I'm still doing stuff. And yeah, he's going to have to work, but it's going to grow exponentially. But he, he's trying to do it all at once. So if he goes out there and takes all that 200000 out of that house in an equity loan, let's say, 
And now he's got the debt on that house, which is wrong to do because he doesn't have the money to support that debt. He's only got five or ten thousand bucks. Then he takes that money and sticks it all in one big, large multifamily deal. And that deal doesn't work out that well. It doesn't pay that well. It's not going to give him anywhere near enough to be able to do what he wants to do, which is retire. So, no, I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. I think he understands where he's at. He needs to sit on the sidelines for a while, save up some money. And like I said, if he really wants to do something to benefit himself and try to get to a better situation, sell that giant home. He's living a lie is basically what it is. I think his wife sees that. That's why she wants to keep the equity in the home. That's the one safety blanket in her mind. At least I've got a home with some equity in it. If everything else goes wrong, we've got some money to survive on. And she's probably right. Because remember, spouses don't distrust spouses unless they've seen reasons to distrust their decision-making process. And once you get that point where your spouse doesn't trust what you say about investing, there's probably a reason. The next email says, Dell, I'm planning on coming to the two-day this year, but I have no savings, and I'm curious if cashing out with a refi is a good way to get started. My wife and I make 140 grand a year combined. We bought our house years ago for 345000 and currently comps are selling for six hundred fifty dollars to 700000 in North Austin. Now, guys, listen to this. He and his wife together make $140,000. And with that small amount of income, they bought a $345,000 home that is now worth $700,000. At 80% loan to value, we could pull out $170,000 or so. Our area is growing like crazy, and I expect the values to keep going up for another year or so at these rates. We have 2.875 interest rate now, and we have six months until we can do another refi since we just closed and refied two months ago. I believe we could afford the payments on 650000 as we don't live lavishly. Also, with the cost of Lifestyles membership, would quickly could one expect to retire starting with $130,000 to invest at multifamily? Or do you think single-family would be better for us? Here we go back to that same thing we had earlier today. They got $140,000 a year income, which means they live on probably $100,000 a year, about eight, $9,000 a month. And they're trying to replace that with $170,000 of investment capital. It's just not going to get there very quickly. It's going to take a couple resurrections of deals. In other words, doubling that money in two years and then doubling that, you know, that gives you 340 and then double that again, 680. And it's still not enough. You're going to need to do it one more time. So take, it's going to take six years, five to six years for these people to get to that $140,000 a year in combined income they're trying to cover. Or if they would just cut their cost of living. One of the ways they could cut their cost of living is not live in a $700,000 house. But they don't want to hear that. They are quite willing, and they don't have their age down here, to work hard enough to pay the payments on a $600,000 loan. They said, I think I, we, can, we can probably cover $650,000 worth of debt. And they're willing to pay that interest on that. And I just don't think that's the right thing to do. Again, taking this thing too quickly, where the real problem in this family's cost of living is the cost of their home, the value and the cost of their home, and the fact that they don't have any other investments that produce income. They have mentioned nothing else about other income other than the equity in their house. So in my case, I can't see them going out there putting $650,000 debt on a house that they can't afford to pay for. Well, I hope this helps. Critical thinking is always difficult. But remember, 
It's not the money. It's the lifestyle. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.